Okay, Revelation 22, we are one week away, one Sunday away from the end of Revelation. <laughs> so uh, I know that just like, it's like, I either like, wow, already or about time. But uh, okay, so men, I'm not talking to the women, I'm talking to the men. You're in the shop tinkering on something, or you're watching TV, whatever it is you're doing, you're doing something, and you, your wife calls, dinner time. Now, do you immediately drop what you're doing? <laughs> I heard a lot of ladies laugh. <laughs> or do you start thinking, okay, how much time do I have? She'll call at least twice more, right? <laughs> Before I start getting the look, right? Uh, you start thinking, you know, between here and the end of the chapter, we are told four times that Jesus is coming quickly. I mean, we're, we're talking about, this, this really is dramatic when you start thinking about the, the power of repetition and that this is the end of the book. And four times in this last chapter of the book, Jesus, it is announced that Jesus is coming quickly. Now, that may sound significant, but we are told nine times to pay attention to God's word. Uh, one time it uses the word testimony, sometimes it uses the word book but nine times. Wow. Jesus, when God emphasizes something, he's not playing around. And, and I'll give you real quickly where we're going. He's coming quickly, so pay attention to his word. That's the message, just by that statement. Okay, uh, pay attention to the words, keep the words, he's coming soon. Okay, so pay attention to the words. Let me, uh, let me by the way, first of all, read this passage. Uh, starting at verse uh, nine, or 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship. I'm sorry, I started uh, late. I want to start at verse 6. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. That's one, by the way. And the Lord, the God, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. That's two. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers, the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of the life without price. I, everyone who, I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, that's six, by the way, <laughs> of this book. Anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree and life and in the holy city, which are described in the book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. 
And we find that repetition of I'm coming soon and pay attention to the words of this book. So pay attention to the words. Let me talk to you a little bit about the inspiration of Scripture. This is a doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. I know sometimes you hear the word doctrine and your brain just shuts off. What it means is this is what the Bible teaches about Scripture. The Bible teaches us about the Bible. I mean, it's like, it's telling us what to think about the Bible. Okay, first of all, we want to understand this. The doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture says each individual word is inscribed and all the words together are, ins are, are inspired. I said inscribed, inspired. Each word is inspired, the entire message is inspired. The bo both aspects of that are true. And, and this policy... Uh, uh, words have meaning that matter, especially God's words, and, and this policy applies to this section, but not only to this section, uh, uh, not, let me say this correctly, not only does this policy apply to this section, but this is one of the passages that most clearly teach that truth, when he t talks repeatedly about the words of the prophecy of this scripture, and we'll talk about this scripture a little bit later on, what exactly, what is he talking about just Revelation or all of the Bible when he says this scripture? But this is really interesting. Hear what he says, verse 6. He said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The God of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel. So when he says the God of the spirits of the prophets, he's saying, not just you, John, who, who are one of my prophets, but of the prophets, the same God who did that sends this message, pay attention to the words of this book. And it sure seems to include the whole book, not just this, this one book of Revelation, but, but the entire book, the Bible. So, so look at what he says about his words in these passages. Verse 6, uh, these words are trustworthy and true. Verse 7, blessed is the one or blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 9, the angel said, I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Verse 10, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Verses 18 and 19, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now, that last part, by the way, is actually beyond the passage I'm preaching today, even though I'm preaching it. <laughs> I'm coming back. Next week is 18 through the end of the chapter because I'm going to talk more about the importance of God's word. It's just uh, it's too important of a doctrine, especially in our world today, where people take this book and they try to dismiss it. They try to say, well, yeah, but. And I'm going to tell you, you can do that if you choose, but pay attention to what Jesus says about his word. Okay, uh, it, it, and in order to throw out what Jesus says about his word, then you have to throw out the whole book. You know, people are trying to dabble with feet in, 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 in you know, both sides of the fence. <laughs> just, just straddling like that makes me feel really uncomfortable <laughs> just thinking of a fence in between, sorry. <laughs> and then we have another word, verse 16, which I consider to be a stronger word. I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I have sent my angel to, te well, testify is a strong word. Testify is a court word. You go to court to testify of what you know to be true. You're not simply telling the truth. You are taking your stand on the truth. You are standing and stating before whoever is there to listen, these words I'm telling you are the truth. And it's a strong word. When you testify, you declare you're speaking the truth. And then we find the word testify again in verse 20 where Jesus testifies that he is coming soon. 
So God speaks both of the words of this book and, and he vouches for the entire book. He vouches, he testifies for them both. And then we talk about the, the repeat, repetition because repetition gives emphasis. It says this is powerful. This is not uh, something to, to, I mean, we can debate whether the word is true, but, but there's no point trying to debate that's what the word is. And when he emphasizes this as con consistently and as powerfully as he does, you can debate whether the words are true, but you can't debate what he's saying. That's really beyond question. Uh, and, and counting the words in testify and, and testimony, I, like I said, I found nine times, nine mentions of the importance of keeping the words of this book. Uh, and, and, and while we're at it, by the way, we don't want to miss the other repeated words when he says, I am coming soon. We found that in verse 7, in verse 12, and verse 14, and that doesn't include verse 10 where the angel says, the time is near. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So we have three times I'm coming soon, and one time the time is near, and we have this repeated as well. And we can't ignore this repetition. It's saying something important. Uh, and, and so... We'll, we'll come back to them coming soon at the end. But first, the, the words of the prophecy of this book, he says, keep. Keep. Three times he says, keep the words of the prophecy of this book. So, so what do we mean by the word keep? The first idea is simply to reserve, reserve, to have, right? You keep your money by not spending your money, right? You keep it and you have it. That, that's an idea, to not lose the words of the prophecy of this book. This is important, but I grew up in a house that had a Bible on a shelf. Right? Nine kids, mom and dad, you guys are in second place, sorry. <laughs> Nine kids, mom and dad, and, and, and one Bible, and it was on the mantle by the fireplace over here. Everybody knew where it was. Nobody ever touched it. We had it. it we did, we, can you say we kept it? I remember my sisters tried to read it. They got through about five pages. I thought I'd show them better, but I gave up after two. <laughs> you know? it, was, it was a book that we had. We did not keep it. Right? Jesus told a parable. Remember that parable where the master gave one guy five talents, one guy two talents, and one guy one? When he took, came to see how they did, the guy named, who, who did five invested got five more. The guy who did two got invested got two more. The guy who did one says, well, I kept it. Right? I put it in a hole in the ground so I wouldn't lose it. I kept it. And if you remember the story, the master said, you wicked, worthless servant, throw him out. Right? That is not what he means when he says, keep the word. When he says, keep the word of the testimony. So then you go to know it. To know it is to keep it. You not only have it, but you have read it. You've not only read it, but you've memorized it. I learned John 3.16 when I was a kid, and I still know it. For God so loved the world that he <laughs> begat something. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I've... I've Shouldn't do that, but I'm not actually in creating that idea. You know, it's really good to know John 3.16. Do you know John 3.36? And I say that, and I have to turn there to it because I can't say it in front of you, although I could give you a, the, the paraphrase. But if you know John 3.16, that's really good. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But John 3.36 says this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Sounds very much like the same thing, right? Hang on. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him or remains on him. Wow. Where'd that word obey come from? I think, I think that's a theological mistake. I think John messed up. Because he doesn't match my theology very well. What's he saying? Keep does not mean to know. 
To know it is not the same as keeping it. whoever, Whoever believes in him has eternal life. Whoever does not obey him, the wrath of God abides on him. And keep means more than know. It's more than no, right? Two verses, those, the, the VBS verses, Psalm 119.11, Psalm 105. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet uh, and a light unto my path. Two VBS verses, we used to have them every year in VBS, you could count on them. The kids who came to VBS every year came in and they just had two slam dunk before they started because that's the same one as last year. We, I haven't heard them so much anymore. But they're not verses about knowing, they're both verses about doing. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What's it saying? It guides my way. It leads me where I go. And if you know it but it doesn't lead you where you go, then what possible good is knowing it? At that point all it does is convict you. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God or against thee, if you're King James, right? And, and, and what is it? It leads me, it guides me, it helps me to know what is right and what is wrong. It helps me to live according to what I learned. And we find that living or keeping God's word is not knowing God's word. It's not having God's word. It's not knowing God's word. What is keeping God's word? Well, that only leaves pretty much one option to do it. To keep the words is to do it. You know how you need to consider God's word, how keep, keeping God's word is the way you consider keeping a promise or keeping a debt even. But I like the word promise better, right? I make a promise to you that I'm going to show up and help you move. Oh, no, let's find another one. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't mind lifting boxes and putting them in places, but please don't ask me to pack boxes. Because I, I can't tell you how much I hate it. I would rather paint. <laughs> it's, it's just like, this is, this is not my spiritual gift. But I make a promise to you that I'm going to help you move. Okay? And the day of your moving comes by, and I go, oh yeah, I made a promise I was going to help them. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> well, I kept it that I remembered it. Okay. How do you keep a promise? You only keep a promise when you do the thing you promised. Until you do the thing you promised, you haven't kept the promise. That's the idea of keeping God's word. We keep God's word by doing God's word. God's word was never given so that we could know. God's word was given so that we could do. Now, knowing is an essential part of doing. I'm not going to say don't, pay, pay, try, don't try to learn what God's word says. Knowing is an important part of doing, but knowing merely directs us to what we do, right? If we don't do it, it's really interesting. You know, you know the story of the, the, two, the, the wise builder and the foolish builder. The wise man built his house upon the rock, right? The foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the rains came tumbling down. Okay, short version. Hopefully it brings it to mind. The interesting thing is, you know where that parable is found about the wise and foolish builders? Now, first of all, let's, let's look at the, the parable itself. It's Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses, uh, it's the la- end of the chapter, uh, Matthew 7, 24 to 27. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and the fall of that house and great was the fall of it right and, and first of all you want to catch what he says the foolish man is not the man who does not hear the words 
but he's the guy who hears the words and does not put them into practice. That's the fool. Yeah, I heard what the Bible said, but I'm not doing that. Jesus says, you are, well, he doesn't call you a fool. He says you're foolish. You make the distinction all you want. Okay? The wise guy is the wise person is the one who hears it and says, I will do it. And by the way, it's a lot harder to build your house on that rock because the first thing you have to do is get your foundation level. A lot easier to get a level foundation in sand. And that doesn't, not going to stay level very long, <laughs> but it's a lot easier to do. We tend to take the easy way very often. It's a lot harder to build your foundation on the rock, but the wise man is the one who builds his foundation on the rock. But in case you never recognize this, this is the last thing said in the Sermon on the Mount. If you have a red letter Bible and you're looking backwards, you go, wow, there's three chapters full of red letters. And then after the story of the wise and foolish builder, it's black ink. In other words, it's no longer Jesus speaking. It says, and then when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. And, and so he's done with the Sermon on the Mount. So he spends chapter 5 with the Beatitudes and chapter 6 with, with uh, do not lay up your treasures in heaven but on earth. Chapter 6 with the Lord's Prayer. Chapter 7 with, uh, I can't rattle it off right now, judging others, asking it will be given, the golden rule. And he's Basically, three chapters of how to live the Christian life. Right? The gospel isn't in there presented as the gospel, but, but it's demonstration, three chapters of how to live the Christian life. And then when he gets to the end, he says, by the way, let me tell you a story about two builders. One guy hears these words and he does them. He's like a builder who built well. One guy hears them and doesn't do them. He's like a builder who built foolish. Three chapters of, of red ink and Jesus is telling us now do them. Because to hear them and not do them does you no good. God's word is, is about doing, not about knowing. It's kind of interesting. He doesn't say these things, but he specifically says these words, right? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Later, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. The words are what we are to do. He gives us these words. These words are inspired. God's word is not written for knowing, but for doing. And then we come to the last chapter of the last book. And he talks about these words. Of all the books of the Bible, it's really fascinating. The last book we read three times in a very short passage that blessed is the one who keeps the prophecy of this book. And if you want to say, well, this book is only Revelation, then have you ever noticed that Revelation is the most avoided of all books of the Bible? Wow. I'm doing everything I can to not keep these words. We do everything we can to avoid them. Many people will not read it at all, either because uh, it's, it's just difficult to understand, or it just doesn't make sense, or it's, or it's complicated, or, or, or the other side that, that they don't believe it's, it's uh, understandable. Right? I, I had a pastor tell me once, well, I don't read Revelation because it's given by vision and we can't understand what it means. And you go, where does that come from? It's clearly told, given us to be understood and to be read. And I'm not saying it's easy to understand. I'm not saying it's easy, but he's clearly given it to us. It's an avoided book for that reason. It's, it's an avoided book. Uh, let's see. I, I should actually look at what my notes say. <laughs> it's significant that it's the only book that I mentioned, I mentioned before that has a, pro, a promise for those who read it. Um, 
But everybody who avoids it altogether, for whatever reason, is, is not keeping it. And then it seems like when people do read it, they're reading to study to get mind-tickling things, but not to find application, not to find things to do. And so we build charts out of Revelation. We study what's going on at this point. What are these plagues? What are these plagues? This seven and that seven, and when do they happen? Do they overlap? As if it's important to know that stuff when, by all accounts, we shouldn't expect to be there, <laughs> right? So it's like, it's, if, if that's all it is, is so that we can know the sequence of events of things that are going to happen, uh, then it's not written to tell us what to do. But in this book, all these times at the end of the book, it says, keep these words. Revelation, you, have you heard me say this before? Revelation is written about then, but for now, right? This book is given to help us live godly now. This book is given to inspire us now, to motivate us now, to help us to serve him now. Right? It's all interesting, those things, but that, that's not keeping it. As we read Revelation, it is a book for then, about, now, or about then, for now, which interestingly, does an interesting thing for Revelation. It puts it in the same category as the history books. Right? Exodus, 1 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Nehemiah. The Gospels, the Acts, they're all history. They're about then and for now. Wow, what a no novel concept. Revelation is future, but it's about then and for now. The same way those books teach us how to live, Revelation teaches us how to live. It is, it is a book to keep. We find truth for, day in what, for today in what happened then past, what will happen then future. So real quickly, let me just review some big picture lessons out of Revelation that we've gotten. One, be faithful under trial. Right? Do we see people in trial in Revelation? Yeah. Do we see them being faithful? Yeah. Do we see them being rewarded? Yes. Do we see them suffering? Yes. And we have a model for us. Be faithful under trial. Don't be deceived by false teaching, even with power. What do we see in Revelation? The devil sure appears to be winning. Boy, is that a lesson for us today? Anybody look around this world and say, it sure looks like the devil's winning? Revelation, application for today. Be faithful. Don't be deceived by false teachings and false power and an appearance of victory. Lesson number three, victory is achieved at a high price. People sometimes like to think Christianity is easy. I believe in Jesus. Life is going to be a bowl of cherries, pitted cherries. Hang on to this one. The victory is not found on this earth. Do not think it will be. If you have rewards on this earth, and I think we all do, I think we all, if we were to sit down and start praising God for all the things he's done for us, we'd be a really long time, right? Uh, but the fruits of victory are not found on this earth. Try this one. God is awesome. <laughs> do you get that out of Revelation? Yeah. Will it help you today? Yeah. Jesus is victorious. Yeah. We find words to live by, and we find words to encourage us to live by them. Keep the words of this book. That's just the big picture things. I mean, we've, we've gone through it pretty in depth, but those are the big picture things. Now I want to go to that other phrase that's repeated three times with the fourth time he's coming soon. Uh, I'm, I'm coming soon, right? Chapter 22, verse 7, Revelation again. And behold, I am coming soon. 
Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the beginning, or the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Verse 20, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. What do these words mean? I mean, it was, it was over 1,900 years ago that these words were written down, that these words were given to John. I don't think soon means what you think it means. <laughs> if I can misquote Princess Bride. <laughs> Two answers. First, I believe he's coming soon. You know, uh, just looking at the world where it is and where things are, I think he's coming soon. But I thought that 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and then you come back, I don't think your definition of soon <laughs> means soon. So what do they mean? Well, we learn something from the word when we look at it, and I, I, I was really, I'm really curious that they translate it soon. Because the, the word is taktaku, which may not mean anything to you, but it will in a minute. It means prompt, swift, quickly, speedily, with haste. It can mean soon, but it also means suddenly. And you want to know why you can remember this word? Because in your car, you may or may not have a tachometer. The root word of tachometer is taku, speed, haste. It doesn't tell you how soon you're going to get there. Moms and dads, wouldn't it be nice to have something that told you how soon you were going to get there? Are we almost there yet? Well, let me ask the tachometer. <laughs> now we can ask Siri. But <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like, but tachometer doesn't tell you how quickly you're going to get there. It tells you how fast the engine is rotating, right? It tells you how quickly, how hard the engine is moving. It tells you something about speed. It doesn't tell you something about arrival time, right? When Jesus comes, he will come quickly. Okay, I think that is the actual message better than soon, is when he comes, he will come quick. Th does that have application for us? Oh yeah, and it's a scary application. He he's saying, there will not be time for you to change your act when he's come. You know, one of the standard answers is, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, co I'll come to Christ later when I'm old. Later, after I've had my fun. <laughs> if you reap the yeah, by the way, when you have had your fun, you now are reaping the benefits of that fun that you had. Uh, congratulations. Um, you won't have time to clean up your act. Look at verse 11. That is, that is one of those verses that people look at and go, I don't get it. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be, do holy. What he's saying is, what you're doing is what you will be doing. So if you choose to sin, just keep on sinning. You know what he's saying here? I have told you, and I have told you, and I have told you. Now it's up to you. I want to tell you something. You are grown-ups. You are responsible for your actions. And some of you, Eli, can say, I'm not a grown-up. <laughs> you can say that, but, and, and, and maybe you can get away with it. But we are responsible for our actions. He says, why are you picking on me? Because <laughs> you're the closest young person I see. Okay. <laughs> Caleb's close, but he's too old, so. Uh, Caleb, you're responsible for your actions. You're responsible. See that lady sitting next to you? Look at your mom. Don't look behind you. <laughs> she's not responsible for your actions. She's not responsible for your thoughts. You are, right? 
Now, by the way, I'm not preaching to Caleb. <laughs> You're off the hook. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to preach to Bethany now. <laughs> She's used to it. She's immune. No. We, Jesus has told you and told you and told you. So do what you're going to do. Just do what you're going to do. If you're going to go out and sin, then go out and sin. You've made your choice. But when he comes, you will not have to change and say, oh no, he's here now. Let me go. Preschool in the home. Sometimes parents come before I'm quite ready for them. And so we hear the car pull up, and I get up and go downstairs, because I'm still wearing my jammies. <laughs> While my jammies are not, I think, offensive, <laughs> it's like, you don't need to see me in my jammies. I don't want you to see me in my jammies. It's like, that's, you know, those are my jammies. And so I get up and I go downstairs. Well, what if you'd come up very quietly, come in the door? I don't have time to say, oops, I'm in my jammies. <laughs> now you know I wear Mickey Mouse. But <laughs> Whatever it is, you know, it's, I do have some Popeye jammies. Uh, <laughs> what's he saying? He's saying it's too late. It's too late. You can't change. You can't do anything now. And, and we find this repetition. It goes and it goes and it goes. Do you think you'll have time to get, get ready later? Because there is no later. There is now. I have plans for later, right? I hope you have plans for later. But they cannot be plans to change my character. Because that's not going to happen. Uh, they, they can't be a chance to become a good person. If you want to become a good person, you start now. There is no later. There is now. The only time that you can do that is now. Jesus is coming quickly, right? When he does, he will find you keeping the words of his book, or he will find you not keeping the words of his book. And he's told you, and he's told you, and he's told you, you do what you choose to do, you will get what you deserve. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I ask for you to reveal the truth of your words. Lord, we have no problem understanding what these words mean. Lord Jesus, I ask you to give us a heart and a willingness to take them seriously, to listen to what you have said, to heed what you've said, to live according to your word. Father, I ask for each one of us, as your word speaks to us, that we will listen and change and obey. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.